This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting Republicans flipped a much-watched Democratic seat in the Jacksonville City Council, while Democrats in the Florida House were turning up the heat on culture war legislation. I am pissed because literally we do not have to do the things that we are doing. You think Democratic Representative Michelle Rayner is letting it all hang out? Wait till you hear her message to the governor. During a House floor session on the Stop Woke and Don't Say Gay legislation, emotions were running high, too. I'm going to do my very best to comply, to not make my questions personal. But the bill is deeply personal. Despite numerous Democratic amendments from Carlos Guillermo Smith and others, the bills are headed to their third and final readings. Pro-choice activists are trying to keep the pressure on to stop the 15-week abortion ban. Speaker, are we going to chant? Go ahead. Our body, our choice! Our body, our choice! There was a reproductive rights march that drew the likes of Charlie Crist and a host of Florida Democrats. And with all the talk of family at this session, nobody's complaining about the fatherhood protection bill approved by the House and moving through the Senate. You know, we've known this for a while, but uh, to see the Florida legislature like really in a big way recognize this and saying, hey, we're going to put our weight behind this to me is just a phenomenal turning point. Sunrise talks about the fatherhood crisis with Jeff Ford, the CEO of Man Up and Go. But first, Republican Nick Howland has flipped a Democratic seat on the Jacksonville City Council, winning the special election for the at-large Group 3 seat vacated by the death of Tommy Hazori. Late in the vote count, Howland had a 5,000-vote lead with less than 5,000 votes to count, drawing 52% of the vote overall. Democratic candidate Tracy Polson won the early vote with 53.5% of the combined in-person early voting and mail ballots in a nearly 5,000-vote advantage before Election Day. However, she did not bank enough numbers to overcome robust Republican day-of-election turnout. The campaign drew appearances by Charlie Crist and Nikki Freed on the Democratic side, and both Senator Rick Scott and Governor Ron DeSantis got involved on the Republican side. DeSantis did not carry Duval County in his election for governor, and Republicans were determined to show that they could notch a win there. And they did. The House had a second reading on two controversial bills, HB7, dubbed the Stop Woke Act by the governor. It aims to restrict how teachers and employers talk about things like black history. And HB 1557, called the Don't Say Gay Bill by its detractors, for its restrictions on talk about sexual orientation in schools. Before the debate even began, Agriculture Secretary and Democratic gubernatorial candidate Nikki Freed held a news conference. Today is a dark day in our state as the Florida House of Representatives are in the precipice of passing not one, but two discriminatory bills that will harm our LGBTQ community and muzzle free speech in our schools and in our businesses. But Democratic Representative Michelle Rayner, one of the three openly gay members of the state legislature, lit up the darkness with some verbal fireworks aimed at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I have a word for Ron DeSantis. I understand that you don't like black people. I said it. 
I understand that you don't like gay people. I get it. You don't like trans people. You don't like anyone that is not yourself. That is not a white Republican cis het man. I get it. But what you're not going to be able to do is to continue this kind of horrific carnage in our state and not be met with consequences. And those consequences will be at the voting booth. These consequences will not be on the backs of our children, will not be on the backs of LGBTQ Floridians who have given their lives to serve this state, will not be on the, be on the backs of black and brown children and people and teachers who have given their lives to serve this state. Also at Freed's News Conference, a member of her department, Nathan Broomer, the Ag Department's LGBTQ community advocate. I'm here to promote the very best of my sunshine state, our history, our diversity. I am a part of that history and that diversity as a member of the LGBTQ community. I'm a very out and proud transgender man. I grew up in these schools. I was a student. I was outed very publicly and forced to drop out of my high school. I had dreams and hopes. Ten years later, I came back to that district and I taught in that district. But I was outed again and I didn't have employment discrimination protections and I had to leave that job. And I went back to school. And then I started working as an LGBTQ Youth Center Executive Director, continuing to serve the youth like me in my home state. And I decided to go to law school because I needed an advocate, so I knew they needed an advocate. I never thought I'd be standing in the cabinet room in my state <laughs> where just a couple weeks ago I hosted a large number of youth who were coming here to speak to legislators to talk about who they are so that legislators would learn about them. Even the sponsors of these bills, they tried to speak to them, but they didn't want to listen. On the House floor, Democrats put up amendment after amendment on the two bills, but getting more traction before the House even went into session when the sponsor of HB 1557 pulled an amendment that would have forced schools to tell parents if they learned their child was dealing with sexual orientation issues, even if there was evidence that could lead to abuse at home. During debate on the many failed Democratic amendments, the openly gay representative from Orlando, Carlo Guillermo Smith, started questioning the bill's sponsor, Republican Joe Harding, from a very personal point of view. What topics specifically about people like myself, LGBTQ Floridians, are not appropriate to teach in the classroom? Is it topics about how LGBTQ people love one another? Is it topics about our marriages, which are legal in the United States and in Florida? Is it conversations about our families? Or is it conversation about sexual activity? What, what part of conversations about people like myself are not age appropriate? Members, this isn't a direct response to anything Representative Smith said, but I just want to caution all of us because I understand we're having conversations where we all feel personally about the topics for a variety of different ways. I ask that you not ask questions or answer questions in a ways that are personal to other members. We've had a great substantive conversation today. Members have been talking about bill, bill lines and places of the bill and questions. I ask that we keep our, our questions to the substance of the bill. Representative Harding, there's a question in there that I think is worth answering. Do you have, you have an answer to that question? Thank you, Speaker. And there was multiple questions in there, but I want to come back to one of the points I made earlier that hopefully will help elaborate on, on the question that you're asking now. 
and that is, again, where, where we can go wrong here is going down a slope of discussion versus instruction. So I just want to reaffirm that what we are talking about is nowhere in our bill are we banning any discussion that a student could, could have relating to any different variation of families and how they can look. Nowhere in our bill are we limiting discussions about different types of families and the way families can look. So I just want to restate that. I know I did say that at the beginning, but I wanted to reaffirm that. On instruction, I want to give you an example um, where, to take example of history, you know, maybe a discussion, maybe your earliest memory of what you learned about Abraham Lincoln was that he was honest Abe and he never told a lie. Um, he was tall and wore a, wore a big hat. You maybe didn't learn that, you know, that during that time um, as president, he presided over a time in, in America's history that is a tough time to talk about. And maybe at some points in teaching that to five and six and seven and eight years old, years old that could lead to um, an instruction that, that could be maybe at that point not sensitive. So nowhere are we limiting a discussion on different types of families and the way they look. And I want to reassure you on that because that's come up multiple times, but that is nowhere are we limiting um, a discussion on the different types of families. Representative Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And Mr. Speaker, thank you for your guidance before. I'm going to do my very best to comply to not make my questions personal. But the bill is deeply personal. And I'm trying my very best, Mr. Speaker. Both bills got through their second reading and have one more floor appearance before a final vote. The 15-week abortion ban has made it through the House and is heading toward a vote in the Senate, and that brought another demonstration to the Capitol. Democratic Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist was in attendance at the Repro Rights Day of Action. So was Democratic Representative Anna Escamani, who talked about Republicans' refusal to amend the bill to add exceptions for rape and incest. One bill already approved by the House and moving quickly through the Senate would put some money behind an effort to fight the fatherhood crisis. And nobody's kicking up a fuss about this one. More and more statistics are showing that kids who grow up without an engaged father in their lives just have a lot more problems. Jeff Ford, the CEO of Man Up and Go in Tampa, says people in his line of work have known this for quite a while. For those of us who are uh, in this work, we've known this for a long time. Um, the, the fatherhood crisis in America, the fatherhood crisis in Florida, specifically, we work in the Tampa Bay area. It, um, you know, it's been there for, for 
quite a while. And um, what we're seeing now is the, the studies that are, I mean, these are government studies, the U.S. Health uh, Department, uh, Health and Human Services, you know, these the, the statistics that are coming out are showing a, a very big correlation uh, between um, poor performance in our kids and having no dad in the home. And so, you know, we've known this for a while, but uh, to see the Florida legislature like really in a big way recognize this and saying, hey, we're going to put our weight behind this to me is just a phenomenal turning point. And uh, what's great about it is, is that it's a this is a bipartisan issue or a no partisan issue. I mean, you can't you can't look at this issue of fatherlessness and you can't look at the data, the statistics, which are again, they're, they're, there's no partisanship here. It's just um, it's a need. And so I'm excited to, to be a part and play a role uh, and excited that the Florida legislature and, and Speaker Sprouse in particular, because this has been his kind of his signature legislation is, is moving forward with it. Now, are we talking all races, creeds, colors, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds? Is this across the board? Yeah, it is across the board. Um, if you look at the data, I mean, you will find that it, whether, you know, white, black, it doesn't it doesn't matter anywhere in between. Uh, there are uh, more and more dads who are not playing uh, an active role. Um, one of the things that's hard to gauge is, you know, OK, so it, if a dad is in the home, does it mean he's he's doing the right thing? Because mm. just because a dad is in the home doesn't mean that it's a good dad. I mean, he could be abusing the, the kid and, and nobody knows, you know, he could be abusing the spouse and nobody knows. So, you know, there are always gaps. You know, whenever we look at the statistics, there are always gaps. Uh, but what we do see is that across the board, um, there is a, a gap uh, in a father's involvement in a child's life. Now, I will tell you, and I can speak more uh, specifically to um, the Tampa Bay area because I know those those statistics uh, a lot better. We do see that kids coming into uh, child welfare uh, are um, it is disproportionate in the African American community, um, and we work uh, hand in hand with the African American community. Uh, I know many leaders in that space, and we're, we're we. We are really trying to, to work on this issue. And as a white man, um, I recognize that it's not my position to be waltzing in and saying, hey, I have the answers. However, you know, we believe we're in a position to at least aid and assist um, those leaders who are in that those neighborhoods um, and, and quite frankly, shine a light on it. Right. Because we have access to these statistics. So, for instance, in the Tampa area, it's about 10 to 12 percent African-American, depending on which survey you're looking at. But the kids being removed um, that are African-American stands at about 40 percent. Wow. And so that is a disproportionate amount in terms of, of kids that are being removed. Now, that is a multifaceted uh, discussion because there are a, a lot of things baked into why that is happening, and you will find some differing opinions on it. But at the end of the day, it's happening. Um, and when we look at the divorce rates, for instance, in Tampa, there's a, there's a couple of zip codes in the Tampa Bay area that are in the top uh, 10 in the entire nation. Uh, so, you know, with that not around, it, it just it makes a difference. So let's talk about that. You know, of course, I'm thinking about my dad. <laughs> what is missing for like, even for dads at home that you guys, the man up and go, for instance, could help? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and listen, I think Chris said this, Speaker Sprouse, in his in his speech. 
everyone has a dad story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I've heard it said, and I, I would agree. We all got daddy issues. I, I've got them. You know, my father passed uh, two years ago now. It'll be two years in April. Um, and he, like your dad, was he was a good dad. He loved me. I, I knew that. Um, he was, you know, he was at all my sporting events. Um, you know, he came to them, he showed up, and so his presence was there. However, there was you know, uh, the emotional kind of side and some things that we just couldn't really talk about, things we couldn't connect on. And, you know, those, those, those hurt, you know, and, and, um, and so, and I don't know if it was a generational thing or whatnot. I think we that kind of comes in waves, but um, I do think that we all have got a daddy story and, you know, I know in my own kids' lives, they're both adopted um, and, uh, you know, it's a privilege to, to be their father. We talk about their biological father. We don't know them. We don't know who he is. Same thing with the biological mom, but we, you know, we, we say, Hey, he's out there. Um, and you know, we hope that he loves you. Uh, we think that he does, but it was just in your best interest. He felt to, to have us, us adopt you. And so they're going to have their own daddy issues. Right. And so we've all got a story. I think when it comes to, Hey, how do you be an effective dad, right? That's really what we're talking about is mm -hmm. we can pour money into stuff, but you can't, you've heard it said you can't legislate morality. Well, you, you kind of can. I mean, you can make laws that make it, and that's what I love about this legislation. It's making it possible for this to happen, and it's raising the optic on it and putting dollars behind it. How will this legislation, other than, like you said, putting a spotlight on this and the efforts that are uh, working to uh, make some change here, um, there's like $70 million worth of money. How will, how will that help yeah that's right because you could throw money at it and at the end of the day we've all seen programs we've thrown money at and it hasn't really changed uh, or made much of a difference so yeah i so i've read the bill hb uh, 7065 uh, you know all 33 pages of it and uh, i have to say like I'm, I'm super excited um so there's a couple of different things that it does um number one it does um, put some impetus on the CBC, the community-based care agency. So, um, you know, that, that would be the, the, the entity in charge of child welfare uh, in, a, in a particular district uh, or, or county circuit. Um, they have to provide a, what's called a fatherhood engagement specialist. So what they're saying is, hey, we're going to put money behind uh, a specific emphasis on fatherhood and so these agencies that are in charge of these kids they're literally they have to have somebody and whether it's a contractor or or an employee that that that, that will be uh, remain to be determined but uh, they've got to to focus on that so i think that's a really good step because we're saying hey we've, we've got to make sure that we're specifically engaging dads in a particular way um there are dollars for uh various parenting classes um uh, ways to help the fathers with um, just their basic kind of needs. So we're talking about, uh, you know, financial literacy. You're talking about job training. You're talking about, um, you know, access to health care, um, access to legal services, access to, um, you know, just the things that they need that, that maybe they don't know about. So the awareness will bring that. But then what I love about this bill is it's really aimed at, trying to get those agencies that are in particular locations to get them the dollars that can help them because there are a lot of really good nonprofits that are smaller. We're one of them 
that um, if we just had you know access to some of these dollars, we're already doing good work with the small population. But if we had those dollars, we could increase um, the amount of folks that we're able to meet. Um, and so even you know having a conversation with a colleague of mine in the African American community, and we're talking about access, and I said, you know, help me understand what you mean by that. You know, she just kind of laid it out, and um, you know, the more that we can raise the optic on this, but then put some dollars behind it. So being able to, whether it's, you know, fund a position or um, able to to market to these folks or able to give them actual real time, you know, help in terms of uh, paying for job training or, um, you know, getting them uh, help with, you know, whatever the social benefits that may be there for them or getting them into some parenting classes. Um, and what's tricky about saying, here's the thing, what's tricky about guys, and you know, this being a dude, we, we don't like for people to tell us what to do. <laughs> um, we, we also don't like to be forced into like a, a situation where I've got to assimilate and, you know, I'm expected to do X, Y, Z. One of the things that one of the successes that we're having with the aged out population is we don't call it a program. We call it a brotherhood. And what we say is, hey, we're going to take guys who are EMs or experienced men, mentors, um, and we're going to we're going to match them with YMs or or young men. And that's what what we call our young men who have aged out of the system. Um, And we tell them this is a brotherhood between you and us. This we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to help with advice when you need it. If you ever talk to a kid who doesn't have a dad and you spend any amount of time with them to get to, to talk to them. They say, Where, when's my daddy coming back? Or do you know where my daddy is? I mean, I'll get questions just that you don't think you're going to get, right? Kids don't lie. But it's like, do you know when I'm going to get to see my daddy again? And I, I haven't prompted them. This is just the out of the mouth of babes, right? Um, so that's what it's all about. And, and if it can't be the biological father, then there are men out there who need to man up and say, listen, I'll be a father for you. And that's really what our organization is trying to, to instill. It's what I think will be a natural consequence, a good consequence from this legislation as well. Well, Jeff Ford, CEO of Man Up and Go, appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, Craig. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The Senate Rules Committee will consider a number of issues, including a bill that would revamp nursing home staffing standards. The Senate's scheduled to take up a number of issues during a floor session, including a proposal that would allow local governments to restrict smoking on beaches and in public parks. These House committees hold meetings today. The House Commerce Committee, the House Health and Human Services Committee, the House Pandemics and Public Emergencies Committee, the House Education and Employment Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and the House State Affairs Committee. Also, the Education Estimating Conference will analyze enrollment in the public school system and then will hold what is known as an impact conference on enrollment. Representative Kathy Castor will hold an event in Tampa to talk about the plan in the state legislature to cut funds to Hillsborough County schools because they kept a mask mandate in place after the governor said to stop. The University of Central Florida Board of Trustees will meet. The Florida Commission on Offender Review will meet this morning. The State Reemployment Assistant Appeals Commission will meet. The Visit Florida Marketing Council will hold a conference call. The Florida Recycling Partnership Foundation will hold an online event that will include discussion about a new national recycling strategy. The Revenue Estimating Conference will hold an impact conference, which involves estimating costs of legislation. 
And the Florida Department of Transportation and Florida's Turnpike Enterprise will hold an online meeting about a project development and environmental study for an extension of the Poinciana Parkway in Osceola and Polk Counties. And finally, this is not a funny story. It's just a story you've got to hear. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the U.S. government agency in charge of protecting panthers, has decided to kill one. The Florida Phoenix is reporting that because one Florida rancher says this particular panther is a threat to livestock, the Wildlife Service has decided it has to go, even though there are only 200 or so panthers left in Florida. This particular panther was once hit by a car, rehabilitated, and put back in the wild. But the complaining rancher has been complaining about livestock loss due to panthers for a long time. Apparently long enough. Fish and Wildlife says it will try and capture the panther and put it in a zoo. But if it can't, the plan is to euthanize the animal. Yeah, scratching my head on this one, too. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.